up on the Big Water Podcast, we've got my longtime friend Nathaniel Welch. We know him as Natty, world famous photographer. You probably want to hear about the story with Tom Petty. That's all I'm going to tell you. You got to listen to hear the rest. Welcome to the Big Water Podcast. I am Ross Robertson, and you know fishing's what I do. It's how I make my living, but sometimes you got to talk about it, too. I've got a really unique, uh, I call him a friend, but he's our guest today, Nathaniel Welch. And those that got Google can look him up because he has been there, done that. Uh, I call him Natty. I think most of your friends call you Natty, right? Yep, that's it, Natty. Natty, what is, We first of all, thank you for joining us. But, uh-huh. I mean, how do you describe your career? I mean... Um, you know, my career has definitely been the best part of my life, for sure. You know, I'm a photographer, and for people that want to hear about it, um, I do everything. I do portraits uh, for magazines, advertisements. I do a lot of travel and adventure photography as well for magazines. Um, and, I do, and we met because I shoot a lot also for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life and some of the uh, outdoor-type magazines like that. Um, but yeah, that's basically in a nutshell. What I do is I travel around and take pictures, but every, you know, I also tell people it's kind of like starting a new job every day for people that don't, you know, that work in a normal office. Every, every, even when I met you, like you, you get on a new job and you go figure it out and you make it work and you make friends and sometimes you make enemies. Um, but it's always, it's always a unique experience and it's definitely helped me learn you know, I, I went to college, but I learned most about life from my job. No doubt. And, and you know, I, it's really unique because, again, like us coming together, you know, we were shooting for a cover of a Field and Stream, I think it was. But, yep. you know, the day before or just before that shoot, you were in California, I think, doing Snoop Dogg. Um, yeah. Which... That's got to yeah. be, that's a little different than shooting a walleye guy when, I mean. Yeah, it's, that's, that's also what's great about this job is that, you know, you meet very diverse people. I remember when I used to live in LA, I photographed some gangster rapper one day and then a Republican congressman the next. And the takeaway is everybody's kind of the same. Um, you know, you're very similar to Snoop Dogg, believe it or not, and he's very similar to you. I would love to hear the analogy. Well, I, I, I mean, think we're both I'm, gangsters at what we do. Is that what you're saying? No, you, no, it's just basic human stuff, you know, trying to figure it out, do better for your kids or your family, that kind of thing. Um, but everyone's kind of the same. And also, I've learned this. You've got something in common with everybody. Uh, if you if you need to if you you know to look for it, I look for it whenever I, I meet somebody. You know, to have a commonality with them. And sometimes it's pretty simple, like having a kid the same age, or something like with Harrison. You know, he hunted, and I have that too. And I found that with him when I found out James Harrison hunted. You know, we were like old bros. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, just going through your stuff. I mean, you've had when you look at the magazines. Obviously, me and you work together with you know Field and Stream Outdoor Life, but. You've done a million magazines, but some of the most uh, probably namesake, GQ, Maxim, Esquire, um, you know, stuff like that. That's a different. Rolling Stone, yeah. Rolling Stone. I mean, that's generally those readers are a different crowd than Field and Stream and probably the people that you're photographing at the same time. I mean. Yeah. And that's my my funnest work, too. When people always say, what's your favorite magazine to shoot for? I always say Field and Stream. Well, Field and Stream and ESPN because I also love pro athletes. They're fun to shoot. 
Um, but yeah, field and stream is definitely one of my favorites so to shoot for. What makes a professional athlete? Because I can, I just looking on your website, I saw like one of the Venus girls there. I mean, obviously you've done. Yeah, I've shot all the, I've shot all the Venus, I've shot the tennis players. Now, so the thing about my work, and you'll see it when you look on the website. Technically, I'm a portrait photographer, but you know, most of my portraits aren't static. There's a little bit of motion in them, and I think that even the ones that are static still still have some movement you can kind of feel some movement in them and like that shot of serena you know she's flying through the air um but with athletes particularly athletes don't like to get photographed in in general they kind of like it's just one of the necessary evils of their job is they have to do press um and i found early on in my career you know if you if you just get them to do what they do in front of the camera like for venus i was having her like do like a forehand volley uh, or I think it was Serena. But if you just get them to do what they do and do make a portrait out of it, like it really helps uh, put them at ease, number one, and also make a really dynamic photograph where they're not just like still. Do they take direction good? Yeah, absolutely. If you have them do, if you, if you have them do what they're comfortable at, for sure. Um, you know, if you want them to do something out of the box for them, it's a little more coaxing going on. But generally speaking, yeah, they definitely move. Or take direction well. So what about like, I mean, I know you said you like the athletes, um, but like you've done a lot of music people. And I don't know if that's just because of the magazine stuff. Like I remember seeing Nelly, Snoop Dogg, Eminem. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, yeah. Yeah. Tom Petty was probably, here's my, here, this is, people say, what's your favorite shoot? And I always go back to this because I'm from Florida. I photographed Tom Petty. It was about seven years ago, but um I went to L.A. to do it. He was getting ready to go on tour. And when these big guys, when guys like that or big bands go on tour, they'll spend a couple of months rehearsing in a rehearsal space. Even though they're these huge, famous bands, they'll get their whole set, you know, figured out. So he and Mike Campbell, I had to do pictures, you know, portraits of them separate and together. And, you know, the shoot was out in L.A. It was at Paramount Studios because these guys will just rent a soundstage you know, for like a month or two months and they'll set everything up. Tom even had his big, you know, I mean, everything, they had the carpets on the ground. He always would perform on those big Persian carpets. Those big rugs would be all over his set and they had it set up perfect like that. So, you know, my call time was like 11 to photograph him. Um, and I got there on time and I set up and I set up backdrops and, and did everything like that. And we did our portrait session and kind of halfway through the portrait session, some of the other guys from the band were showing up because they were going to have a rehearsal that afternoon. And, you know, Tom and I talked about Florida because Florida is, a, is very near and dear to my heart. And he was, you know, he was from Gainesville. And I spent, I was, I didn't go to University of Florida, but I spent a lot of time there. And I knew the town really well. And I knew, you know, we talked about Micanopy, which was, a, you know, Page Prairie. These little, only locals would know that kind of stuff. And Tom kind of lit up when we talked about that. But at the end of the shoot, he said, hey, man, you want to hang out and watch us rehearse? And I'm, and I'm just thinking, I, yeah. So I, I, I sat there and I watched, like, half the set of these guys, you know, just kind of going through it. It was basically Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you know, live, free, and basically alone. There was like 15 other people there, you know, managers, and his wife was there and um, a few other people. But that's the kind of stuff, you can't buy that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? 
Like, there's no ticket for that. There's no ticket for that. I'm not a Tom Petty, like, fan or not fan, but, like, oh, hell yes, time to put on that party dress. Like, everybody knows something of Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah, and he was, and he died. I mean, it, you know, I did an Instagram post. I mean, it kicked me in the gut because he's one of those guys that seemed like Yoda. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't think he was going to die. He was just an old, wise kind of guy. And, you know, when he died, I, you know, his manager actually reached out to me. Um, you know, I actually reached out to her right when it happened, you know, just saying how sorry I was. Um, and then she reached out to me a month later or a couple months later because he had a big box set come out and they used some of my pictures that I took uh, for that magazine story in the box set, which was kind of cool. You know, and I can remember too back when we were in the boat there, it's probably been five or six years ago now, but the last time, but uh, you know, since then you've done Trump like what, three times? I've shot, oh, yeah, I've shot him three times. Uh, the first time was before you. It was like 2007. I, you know, when he was doing the uh, the Apprentice was the first time I photographed him, and that was um, at his offices in New York for Fortune magazine. Um, and you, you know, it's funny you say like, you know, do people take direction? Well, Trump definitely does because he loves to get his picture taken. At the time, because Apprentice was so popular, they had these little talking Trump dolls that you could buy. You remember those? I don't, but... They were about 16, 17 inches tall, and you could pull a string, and it would say, you're fired. My producer's shaking his head, yeah. Yeah, but I, but I bought one of those, and I brought it, and I thought, you know what, maybe maybe I'll have maybe I'll have uh, Donald hold this for a picture, you know? And sometimes you have these crazy ideas, and you know they're kind of walking a fine line, and the talent a lot of times be like, no effing way I'm going to do that. But he was like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he's very confident in that kind of stuff. He doesn't really worry about that. You know, I'm not going to try to turn this into a political thing one way or the other, but I remember you telling me, like, when you shot Trumpet, you were amazed that you thought he was a pretty good dude. Again, don't want to put words in your mouth, let you finish this. But you, you told me a long time ago, you don't care how people treat you because it's normally going to be good because they want a good photo. They, they know you, you're a namesake, but it's how they treat. Absolutely. It's how they, you, how that person that's the subject is treating your light guy or your yeah. grip dude. Right. Thousand percent. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump was one of the best at that. You know, even the first time I shot him in 2007, my, my nephew came up, because he spent a few weeks with me. He was like 14, 13 at the time. So I would bring him on shoots and assist. And, you know, he had long hair. My, my assistant, you know, down to his shoulders. He was a skateboarder. And uh, Trump, he actually commented. He goes, he said to him, he said, what's your name? And he said, Justin Welch, sir. He goes, you know what? You got really nice hair. He said that to my nephew, which I thought was funny. Um but yeah, he treated he treated everybody on set totally normal. And the thing the thing that really cemented it the last time I shot so anyway I shot him in two thousand five, right? And then I shot him or two thousand seven. Then I shot him like in two thousand ten for Wall Street Journal, where I did a round of golf with him at Trump National in New Jersey. And so that's me hanging out in the golf course with him. You know, that's his place for sure. So we did a round of golf. I was just tailing along in my own golf cart with my assistant. Um, and after the round, you know, he's made sure that, you know, we came and had lunch with him, myself and the writer and my assistant. He never he never left anybody out or a lot of times, you know, um, a celebrity like that would just want to have lunch with the writer because that's the person that, you know, is going to be writing the story. And, right. and I was pretty much done who, with them at that point. Who can do them good or bad? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, 
Exactly. The people they really have to suck up to. But the last time I shot him for Golf Digest was only about four years ago or five years ago. And that was that was at a Mar-a-Lago. I flew down to Florida to do it. And we set up a big studio in the um, in the ballroom of Mar-a-Lago. And I had everything there. And he showed up and he remembered me, first of all. He remembered me from the shoot that I did with him um, in New Jersey at his golf course. So, again, it was a great, great shoot. And I had two assistants. I had a hair and makeup person there. And after and this was around Christmas time, you know, this was like a week before Christmas when that's when Mar-a-Lago is like at its height. Well, he, you know? he had a bunch of meetings or something going on when you were there for that, right? Or am I wrong? He, Well, he always does, you know, but. But no, this is before he was running for president. This was just him being the host of Mar-a-Lago. Like, we saw Billy Crystal having lunch there while we were getting ready to set up. It was that kind of thing, that kind of vibe. Um, but, at the, but at the end of the shoot, he said, he said, you guys should stay for dinner. And he, he said, can you guys stay for dinner? And we said, absolutely. Also, you call him Mr. Trump. You learn that right away. You never call him Donald. Everybody called him Mr. Trump that was around him. But I said, yeah, absolutely, Mr. Trump, we'll stay for dinner. He said, you, you guys too, your assistants, I want everybody to stay, hair and makeup. He said, you got to stay. He said, we only do this once a year, like the two weeks before Christmas, like it's the best buffet, lobster, shrimp, crab legs, you name it, steak. So like he wanted us to stay, which was crazy. He could have just sent us on our way. Um, but the real, the real crazy part was he came back like 15 minutes later. He said, hey, he said, do you guys have like coats and ties? And we of course not, you know, we're, I'm a photographer. I mean, I had on, you know, jeans and a nice button down shirt, but he, he, you know, he said, Oh, you guys don't have coats and ties. There's a dress code in the, in the dining room. So right there, he was good. Like he could have said, you know, I tried whatever, still love the guy. He said, let me, he said, let me try something. So he got a, he said, he got a phone. There was a house phone there in the ballroom and he got on the phone with his, I guess the maitre d' of the restaurant. And he said he was looking for a private room. He, he was saying, are any of the private diner rooms open tonight? And they had one. So then Trump goes off, he got off the phone. He said, hey, I found you guys a private dining room, so you don't have to go by the dress code. I can just put you guys in this dining room. You can still have a great meal. And uh, that was awesome. You know, like, he, again, he made an effort. And then all through the dinner, he kept coming in and, you know, filling our glasses with wine and, and all that kind of thing. It was, it was pretty cool. So, I mean, what do you think makes you good at your job of, you know, whether it's filming Trump or Eminem? I mean, what, what has been your advantage? Yeah, that's a tough question. I don't really know. That's a really tough one. I think about that myself, too. I mean, it's tough to talk about yourself sometimes, but, I mean, obviously you're very well-known and you've been doing it a long time. Yeah, I think it's just empathy, you know? Like I tell people, I sleep in four seasons one night and a Motel 6 the next, and I love them both the same. And I think it's the same, that same sort of attitude with photographing people, you know, that they're all kind of, everyone's kind of the same, and you approach it that way, Um and, uh, yeah, I don't, that's a tough one. I guess just basically, you know, empathy and also just not giving up. You know how it is. You just don't give up. It's like fishing. You don't give up. Well, I, I know what makes you good at fishing. I mean, or maybe not fishing, because I'm not going to say you're a great fisherman. I'm not going to throw you that bone yet, you know. I'm still, <laughs> yeah. I'm still waiting on our saltwater trip together. But I can tell you what, because I work with a lot, a lot of photographers. I think that 
what makes you good in my opinion, or at least what I see is, is you can give really good direction because you actually hunt and fish. You know, I mean, yeah, for that kind of stuff, for sure. I mean, I've been around guys that are shooting for, you know, non-sponsor deals and they don't know that, you know, the, the guys got, they hand me a rod and say, you know, this is what they sent to be in the shoot. And it's a spinning rod with a bait caster on it. You know what I mean? That right. Type of thing. And so, I mean, is it even fair to say that you do a lot of these shoots with hunting and fishing? They maybe aren't the most financially advantage compared to some of the other stuff that you're doing, but it's just cause you love it so much. I mean, that's, like- yeah, I mean, I love it. Definitely. Like it's definitely my favorite work. I wish I could only do that kind of stuff, adventure, outdoor kind of stuff. It is fun. I mean, it's harder as I get older, you know, but it's still a lot of fun. Is it harder just because of the dealing with the elements? There's more. Yeah. I mean, look, I've been on major backcountry jobs, you know, and I'm 53 now, which isn't super old, but I could handle a lot better in my thirties. Yeah. I, I can relate to that a little bit. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, you know what I mean? You, you feel that when I, every morning when I wake up, I got to kind of get the creeks out. Yeah. No doubt. And, and that's, you know, and, and because of that authenticity, I know you probably won't want to say the name, but as we talk drinking some beers and in the boat, uh, me and you, I can remember a, a pretty famous musician who wanted to do a shoot. And um, let's just say they weren't maybe, I'll let you fill in the blanks. They're into fishing as much as what maybe somebody in their, in their camp thought they were. No, it was, yeah, that was a, that was a, definitely a great story too. And I'll, this is a two hour story, but I'll, I'll break it down to three or four minutes. So the assignment was to go down to the Virgin Islands to go sport fishing with the, this big country music star. And it was sold as, you know, he loves to fish. He's got a yacht and a house, you know, a fishing, a, a sport fishing boat and a house down in the Caribbean. And he had a record coming out, of course. And now, but you know, his publicist kind of pitched it this way. So we get there and, you know, we're hanging out first night, drinking on the boat. And I'm like, when are we going fishing? We're like, well, we think it's still too rough, you know? And I'm like, this is like a 60 foot boat. It can handle it. Um, And it wasn't that rough. So after about three days, we still hadn't been fishing. And I'm like, look, like, this is a fishing story. You know, we need to, I need to do something. My editor's going to be like, what the hell? Like, there's no fish in here. It's just people partying on a boat. Um, and also, my other clue was the boat wasn't like a hatteras or a sport fisherman. It was kind of like a luxury kind of, yeah, you this, know. This wasn't a Viking or a Cabo. No, nah, it wasn't a Viking. It wasn't wasn't a hatteras or anything like that, like I thought it was going to be. It had nothing. And there was no fishing rods anywhere. So push came to shove. And I really, I got a little bit, you know, pushy with his publicist. Like, I, we got to do something. So the next day, it's like, okay, we're going to go fishing. And they pulled out of this little closet these little, like, spinning rods that we would catch, like, pinfish with for bait. <laughs> like, this was not something that you go fishing for anything bigger than a little sea trout. Like, like, like one of those, somebody get me a rod. Somebody just get me a rod. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they still were hemming and hawing that it was, like, we can't really go fishing. It's too rough. And I said, well, look, I got to get pictures of you guys at least hanging out with fishing gear. You know, like we're getting great pictures as a lifestyle story, but let's at least get a little bit of the fishing in there. Um, and I, oh, yeah, let me back up. I also went down to the local dock because you know how I am. I know sport fishermen and I know captains like you. I went and bought some fish from a, from a boat that went out fishing that day. 
This and is getting fun- bad fast. Oh, yeah. And the, and the funny thing is, they were like blue runners. They were basically big marlin bait. You know, it's like a like a jack kind of fish about this long. You know, they were just like these blue runners and like bonita, you know, that, that you would use for like a 600-pound blue marlin. Um, so I bought some of the old bait from these guys um, that I could use for a prop if I needed to. So anyway, we get back there, and I, I get these guys, you know, his friends and some girls. We had girls with us too, which was was nice. And they're hanging, they're hanging, they're That's hanging the on the boat. That's the I want to hear. They're hanging on the boat with these fishing rods, and nobody knew how to. They're holding spinning rods upside down, putting their hands on their left hand on the knob, reeling like backwards. And I, I literally had to go, no, 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 you got to turn it around. Um, moral of the story is people will do anything to get, you know, press. Um, and also none of those pictures ran. I mean, ultimately the mag, the magazine's like, we can obviously tell this wasn't a fishing store, but Hey, you got great stuff for them, like partying and jumping off the boat, just hanging out. It was a great lifestyle piece. Yeah. I think the thing that people probably don't understand, I mean, I've worked with a lot of photographers and you're, you're definitely because of your, your love for hunting and fishing, your caliber or type is not somebody that normally would be shooting fishing stuff. Is that fair? Absolutely. And here, I'll tell you the story, how I ended up doing it. So some of you guys might know who Dave DiBenedetto is. Um, he is now the editor in chief at garden and gun magazine, which is like the best Southern you know, culture, they have a lot of fishing and hunting and a lot of bird dogs and stuff like that. But he was an editor at Men's Journal when I was a photographer, and he knew that I hunted and fished. And then he took the editor-in-chief job at Field and Stream, and he just reached out to me. He's like, hey, Natty, like, you know, I know you hunt and fish. If I can get you to shoot for us, it would be awesome. And I said, yeah, man, let's do it. And that's how I got kind of into doing stuff for, for field and stream and outdoor life. Dave knew that I hunted and fished and that I was a great photographer. Uh, his words, not mine. Just kidding. But, and, and, and he said, yeah, I'm here. We need you. You know, and, and we had a great, we had a great thing going for a while. Then he, you know, got smart and moved to Charleston and became the editor in chief of garden and gun. And now that magazine's doing great. It's one of the only print magazines doing well, still thick. Hmm. Um, and he's doing really well still. Do you know, have you seen that mag? Do you know Gardening Gun? I, I don't. I honestly don't. Yeah, it's really good. Hmm. Really good magazine. But, you know, and again, the thing that I was – I try to keep my mouth shut and just kind of pay attention when you're around guys that are good at what they do, regardless of what side of the of, of the fence you're on. And the thing that kind of surprised me is, is, you know, a lot of the guys that I shoot, they, like, get in the boat, we do this or we do that. Me and you, on our first shoot together, because we we've done two – we, I mean, we drove around and you were like looking for the spot and we spent a lot of time like scoping it out. And, and, and I, I was bringing up suggestions. Yeah. You, you jumped in the truck with me and you had your assistant and we, and we drove all over and you were like asking me questions and like, no one ever does that. At least, I mean, I've worked with dozens of these guys that are like, all right, how about this? And then we would go someplace that I thought was what you described. And you're like, no, 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 that's, uh, that's okay. But, and then here we drive over here and we're looking at stuff and like the whole setup of, you know, you just had this vision in your mind. And then when we finally did, um, I actually, we actually, the very first time, if you remember this, I went and called a friend up who had a private launch 
and we lost. Yeah, yeah, we got blown out that trip, right? Was the that... wind was so bad that we, yeah, we yeah. had to go to a private launch, and then you, you guys were in the water, and we went, yeah, we went and got waders, and yeah, and we had the yeah, one... we had a, he had a big stand in the water, like it, we that had was stands. Crazy, that yeah, was had... that was dumb, <laughs> but I, but you know. But I, I, I guess don't go the, home without a picture. The, the the point of this was is I mean it shows obviously your perfection because it, you, you, we got stuff but wasn't what you wanted and so we used it for a different project. But yeah, you know yeah you guys were in the water. You had all these cameras and lights in there. I had the boat anchored off the front, the back. I had trolling. Yeah, it was blowing like twenty knots. It was crazy. Oh, it, it I was remember that at least. And and we're and I had to get us in a place that was you know our problem is is we got some shallow water, but it's usually full of rocks, which isn't right. Real good we had to find a place where we could put a stand in. You're, yeah, I remember that. So, that yeah. was tough. But again, the, the whole the, the setup and just of you getting the lights and everything set up and the thing that just blew my mind was like it was and I could be exaggerating. I could be under exaggerating it. I don't remember. You tell me. But I want to say we had about two to three hours of setup and all of this stuff going on. And I'm kind of like, you know me, I'm like I'm in my game mode. I'm like, go, go, let's go. We're trying to keep fish, you know, everything. And I mean, my producer's laughing right now because he knows I'm just I'm like, let's go, 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 go. And I'm sitting here just kind of soaking this all up because I obviously know like this dude knows what's going on, but I'm trying to just fill this out. And then when you started shooting, you're like, all right, we're done. 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. And I was like, what the, what the, what what do you mean we're done? Yeah. I'm like, what, what happened? I'm like, I I, I need to, I was going to change a shirt and you're like, no, we're I got it. And the second time we shot, I think it was like one minute. You were in there and it was like a movie. I I felt like I was in a movie. You, You, you set the thing up. You're like, yeah, move over here. And I said, okay, yep. And you shot, and you're like, we've got it. I've got the cover. And I'm like, yeah. you, you've got yeah. what? Yeah, people, everybody says that. Pro athletes, everybody's blown away when I'm like, I'm done. They, they can't believe it. I shoot really fast. and I'll, But it's also what you said. I give direction. Like, I, I you know, I always have it in my head what, what's, you know, what it's going to be. Um, and I don't, I don't ever use tripods. I like to be mobile. But, yeah, I, it, people always love shooting with me. You know, actors love to be. They love to be told what to do. Like they like working with the director. They don't want to. They don't want to get in front of the camera and then the photographer not have any ideas about what they want. Yeah, you know. Was, and again, it just. I mean, it was cool to watch from my standpoint because I like people that are good at what they do. I don't have to even like what they do, but it's neat to watch a guy work. And I don't right. want to make this too much of a love fest. But again, you know, you flew in, and so now we got all the stuff. So we, if you remember, we went to the grocery store and bought gallons of water. As weights, to yeah. use as weights because yeah. the waves are crashing, and we have light stands in the water. You've got an assistant trying to hold these things. Yeah, it was yeah, I remember crazy, that. crazy. Yeah, everybody takes it for granted, though. I, you know, I took for granted too how good I can be sometimes taking pictures. You take for granted how you put people on the fish, also. You know, there's an old saying: you're only as good as your last job. You know, in the f- photo biz, and it's true. Like the people remember it also like I, I remember having assistance. I'll be on a shoot. It'll be raining. It'll be dark and like just not a place you can take pictures. And I, I remember having an assistant saying, well, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Like, I mean, it's rain because I get in a, I get in a crabby mood when it's like that, as I'm sure you can imagine, like anybody, you know, when you want to get something done and you can't. And my assistant's like, well, there's nothing you can do. It's raining and, um, you know, it's starting to get dark. And like, what are we going to do? You know, you just tell the editor you can do it. And I said, you know what, man? I said, here's the problem with that. First of all, the editor's not here. So they're not going to know that it's, you know, 42 degrees raining sideways. Yeah. 
they don't give a like because that photo editor has then got to tell the art director and then the art director's got to tell the editor in chief they don't care and we ended up you know i've used like car lights for my car as a light source to do a portrait of somebody standing and it actually you can make it work sometimes those are the best pictures you know what i mean like you have that drama then like just don't shut, don't shut yourself down. Like I've always said, you can always make a great picture on every assignment, no matter what the situation. Natty, you always say you can't schedule the fish. And I mean, you can control makeup and people a lot better than you can getting fish to bite or the condition of the fish, or of course the size of the fish. Cause I mean, like I'm a prime example. The last thing I want to do is see me on a cover of a magazine, holding up a two pound walleye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The hands always, you know, and, and frankly, like, when we do those jobs, we make sure the guide's not too big because, you know, even a quality fish, you got a guide that's like 6'4", 280. It's going to make a great fish even look small. And me and you are both big dudes. We're not like yeah. heavy, but yeah, we're, we're both big frame Yeah, dudes. we're big guy. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, you know. Um, but, yeah, you can't schedule a fish, and that, is always, that has always been the most stress for me on those shoots. I can deal with everything else, weather, logistics, um, but you know, the knot, the fish thing is tough. And I've had a few really close, not getting the fish, but we always got it in the end and always was a cover on the, and on the end. Um, but you know, again, that's just persistence. I've changed flights on a snook shoot. It was a saltwater sportsman shoot. Um, and we we're trying to catch a great snook. And if cold front came through and the big guys weren't biting, changed my flight from like nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, we fished it was Sam Heaton. We fished that morning, you know, and we finally got a big, big fish, you know, like a nice big snook, you know, the 30 pound fish for the cover. And, mm. you know, but it was literally had to change the flight. It was down in Jupiter and I ended up catching the fish. That's the funny thing. So I, I can't have you on here and not ask you some questions, even if it's, you know, for my own selfish purposes about, you know, photography stuff. I mean, I, I see people get in my boat and, and, and I guess even backing up from that, when I first started doing stuff and working for magazines, it was a big deal for the writers or the, the talent, if you will, if they provided their own art, right? Right. Because right. a lot of these guys, it's it's they didn't have the budgets to have you come in or they didn't have the time frame. And if I could have some stock stuff, and back then we were shooting slide film. Yeah. And again, the difference is I'm not a professional photographer. Hell, I'm barely in my 20s. Yeah, and slide film you got a nail. Like slide film, yeah, if lighting? you're not, if you don't, if you don't hit the exposure right, it's unusable. Yeah, and, and but and the thing for even worse, aside from the cost, you know, as a, as a young kid and shooting a pile of these things, people now at home sitting here like the kids, they don't get it. Like you can't review and delete and and put you know you know apps on it. Like you don't know if you got it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, yet you're you're right. Like that was what that was what film was all about. You and, didn't know. And the funny thing is, is I think about all those struggles that were early on, and now I have people in my boat where they take pictures of their their son or their their neighbor holding up a big walleye, and they'll I'll take the phone and I'll look at it, and I'll be like, you you cut his head off. Like, <laughs> you're using an iPhone, and you like you know what I mean. So people don't take the time to to even review a picture. It's just hilarious. or or they'll move it before that you know then they hit the button they move it. <laughs> Because they think it's yeah, over with, and the whole thing yeah, it's is fuzzy. free now too. It's free, like you know, there's no cost for taking pictures. So, but people are better. But people are better photographers now because of it. Well, generally speaking, I think the girls and the young and the younger people are. But I still right. see guys my age and above where, and and again, correct me if I'm wrong here. 
I'm definitely no professional photographer, but I think the biggest thing I see is this people don't take enough photos. They're like, oh, da, 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 like guys, like women, probably a different story. Guys, different. guys that are in my boat, like we'll just catch the fish of a lifetime. And they're like, yeah, okay, I got you, Bob. And I'm like, right, right. Like uh, even Natty wouldn't do that. I mean, two minutes, but you're still banging them out and you're, and you're making little, I mean, you look like a, like a bobblehead doll when you're doing those, all those little minor tweaks and things and you're checking yeah. and stuff. But what are some tips that you could give a guy from a hunting and fishing standpoint with photos that are realistic that they can adapt? Okay, here's the biggest tip of all. Right when you started talking about that, I thought of tips, and I thought this is the biggest one. The biggest one is to get your camera angle lower. People tend to like to stand up, you know, and they don't change their body from where they just like if they're standing up, they just like point the camera down at the person holding the fish or whatever. But you get down. And you, we give it what's called the hero angle, you know, um, executives, uh, people in power always want a low camera angle, not too low, but it gives you that kind of, you know, so are you, are you basically eye level then, or are you just a little bit lower? You're kind a little of like, lower than like you're shooting up a little bit. Ch- yeah. Like chest level shooting up and that fish or that animal is going to look better too, where it's more in the foreground. Um, but you may really like just, you know, kind of get down. And I, I always tell people it just, it makes it intimate, you know, like you feel like you're part of that experience, but I can't stand when I see people like taking a picture, standing up with somebody sitting down or like holding a fish or something. It drives me nuts. Like get down on their level. Yeah. And then you get sky behind them also, instead of like, you know, uh, the rail of the boat going through their head. Or, you know, a trolling motor coming out of their ear. But that's that's the biggest tip. The, that's the biggest tip for sure. The second one is take lots of pictures. You know, I tell people, it's free. Like, it's not costing you anything. Like, take lots of pictures. Um, and the third one, this is an old war, an old war saying that I like to use um, for stuff like this. I think it was uh, Robert Coppa, that old war photographer. He coined a saying... If it isn't good enough, it isn't close enough. You know, he's talk, he was talking about war photography. Like, you know, a war going on from 100 yards isn't nearly as interesting as a war going on from five yards. Same thing with fishing, you know, like, or, or wildlife photography. Get down in there with it, unless you have a really long lens. Um, but, yeah, and get that's, in. That's another big one I see. The guy standing on the front deck, and all you see is everything but the, but the subject. Like yeah, you, you don't intimate. know what the subject is. Yeah, yeah. And I, again, I take it for granted. To me, it's obvious, but I get it. Most people, it's not. So, but people people are doing a lot better now. I see people that used to be awful photographers that are pretty good now because well, of the iPhone. It's really changed, though, because like I work with Sims Clothing, for example. And if you look on Sims' Instagram page, there are not that many pictures, I mean, almost none, of like, a hero shot or a grip and grin as, as we say in the business, right? Of hear me right. holding up. If it is, it's probably like a record class fish. Most of the time it's the fish only. And you see a dude's hand, like he's releasing it into a stream or what they want is the lifestyle thing. Like yeah, they're taking lifestyle. a picture and you know, I'm wearing their little rubber boots, which are amazing. And you know, they're getting the whole pro dry suit and, and they're seeing like, I'm not even looking at the camera, like some of the coolest shots. And again, I, I don't know what this says, but, I think it's cool to capture because I'm so caught up in doing what I do. And I don't know if you feel yeah. like this, that when I see somebody that takes a picture, a guide client or a photographer or whatever of me, and I don't know what's being taken and it's me and my element, like doing my thing. 
I think it's super cool because I don't ever get to see that. And it captures yeah. something. Well, you take you take it for granted. The photographer will see it. Yeah, that lifestyle photography is real big for brands like that. That's what they're trying to sell is the lifestyle. You know, it's not really about the fish as much as the lifestyle. And, and is there any tips for people that are trying to take a lifestyle thing or, or even, you know, maybe it's not a guy that's, you know, maybe somebody's wife's listening to this and it's not necessarily she cares about fish or in the boat, but maybe you're trying to capture their kids, you know. or Yeah, yeah, just don't talk to them. Like people always like they ruin a photo moment by talking to the subject. Like just take pictures. People feel like you have to express yourself verbally before you take a picture. You don't. Because they become, they, they put on a, a false persona when they know they're on camera. Yeah, everybody does. You do too. We all do. Like if you're aware of a camera and also when I do shoots like that, I shoot a shitload because eventually people like you just give up, <laughs> you know? And, and that's always been my thing. Like you just bombard people with the camera clicking and they eventually get sick of it and forget. Is that why you got the two minute rule or whatever? You're just banging them out and like, okay. Bang them out. Yeah. Bang them now. Well, for the portrait, it's different, but yeah, I just bang them out when I'm doing portrait stuff like that. I think I know, but again, I, I don't, I certainly wouldn't even be pompous to say that I know Natty well or, or, you know, been there for all your thousands of trips or whatever it has been through the years. But of the stuff we've talked about when we've been on the phone or fishing or doing a shoot, I definitely probably have probably one in mind that I think is the funniest story, but what, what stands out amongst these trips as far as one that like, I, I, I want people to know about this or this is, it was near and dear to you, whatever it may be. Um, I don't know. They have, well, Afghanistan, that, I told that, you that story, right? Af, that Afghanistan, that was what for sure for me. Because yeah. Afghanistan for, a big for one. totally different reasons. Yeah. Afghanistan was a big one. So Afghanistan, I went to Afghanistan for Rolling Stone magazine in early 2002 like I was pretty new, you know, my career, I've been doing it about eight, nine years, but you know, nine 11 happened and I spent like a month and a half down, you know, at the pile taking pictures. Um, and then it's funny how that all changed, you know, after that happened. But then in March, I found myself March, 2002, I was in Afghanistan, um, for Rolling Stone embedded with the 101st airborne in Kandahar. Uh, and, and I think I told you this, I, br I used to bring a four weight fly rod with me everywhere. I would just pack it in with my stands, you know, my stand, you know, the light stands, I always have a case. It's like a golf club case that put light stands and stuff and, you know, four weight, you know, rod case isn't very big. I would just toss it in, always have it with me. And I brought one to Afghanistan because I'd heard that there was actually great fishing you know, in the Kush mountains of Afghanistan. And there is, and there was, and, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, I guess people used to go there to fish. And I had this vision, like, man, I'm going to bring it. And you never know. You just, I could be, I could like make friends with a general that likes to, you know, fly fish. And we end up, you know, getting on a helicopter to go into the mountains to fly fish. Um, so, when I was in Afghanistan, what would happen every day is we'd get up and we'd go on patrol. You know, we'd take like four or five Hummers and a platoon of soldiers. And we would go to these little, like, communities or villages. And I tell people, it looks just like Tatooine from Star Wars. Like, there was no paint. There was no color. It was just these, like, mud adobe huts. Uh, kind of just out in the middle of the desert. And it was the weirdest thing. But we would pull up. We had a translator with us. And it was, it was basically just um, 
like a peacekeeping sort of community building sort of thing, you know, like we'd have bottled water and, you know, candy for the kids and that kind of stuff. And invariably we'd always, you know, end up with the village elders sitting in one of these little um, mud places, you know, drinking tea that we knew was going to wreck us later. But the, you know, the Lieutenant told me going in, he said, look, like if you come in on this, you have to drink and eat the food and you're going to get the shits. I'm just telling you, but it's really rude. If you tell them no, whether they're like trying to give you a piece of goat or like really bad tea that is going to make you sick, you, you kind of have to drink it. We all deal with it. Um, so I agreed. And anyway, we went, we went one, one day we were, you know, in one of these villages and I asked about fishing you know, we had a translator. I said, can you ask the, you know, these village elders if there's like fly fishing around here? So they get into this conversation. I think Pashtun is the language. I can't remember what it's called, but it's whatever. It's the local Afghani language. And our um, translator is having this conversation with these village elders and then tell me what they're saying. And then I say, well, this is what it is, you know, like, you know, like trout, it's got spots on it and, you know, this other stuff. I can just see this going down. This is yeah. like a bad game and, of and, telephone. And man. these guys, like, they're literally what you think of for Afghani, you know, like village elders. They have, you know, the robes and the headscarves on and, you know, they're 30, but they look like they're 70, you know. <laughs> and they're just kind of laughing and scratching their heads like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And I said, no, tell them, like, it's like, it's a long stick, basically, with, like, a, a metal spool at the end with some string and, like, a like a fake fly on the end that you would get the fish to bite. And, you know, the uh, translator <laughs> kept talking to him, and, and it's going back and forth, and finally he kind of tells them, and then the, then the translator says to me, uh, you know, they're laughing, they're like, oh, ha, ha, and then the translator looks at me, he says, so they're... These guys are asking me, like, how many fish do you normally catch in a day when you do this? And I say, I don't know. Sometimes on a really good day, like eight or nine, sometimes one or two or maybe four. And then the translator told them that. And they're all just laughing. Like, they're about to roll on the ground laughing. And then they're talking in Afghani back to the translator. And the translator smiles to me and laughs. He goes, goes, yeah, they, they think that's ridiculous. When they want to eat fish, they just throw a grenade in the water. And it blows up. And then they just collect them all. So that's definitely my one of my favorite stories from being on a shoot. I've got a similar story that's the, the short version. Is, it's kind of similar. I stayed just above the Arctic Circle back, and it was like, I want to say 2003 in Alaska. And uh, <clears throat> long story short, we're in an Inuit village. And the one guy there was an Iditarod guy. And he you know, was kind of the commander of all these guys that running this fishing and hunting business. And mm-hmm. the guy... The guy comes out, kind of the one of the lead guys, and he was like, so I, I hear you're pretty good at fishing. You think you're good at fishing? And Gary Loomis, ironically, because they must have had 20 Loomis rods in this thing, had been there like that season at some point, so they had all right. this crazy good gear that they left. And the guy goes, hey, why don't you go grab whatever you think? And he goes, well, let's have a fishing competition. He goes, what do, you want, what do you want to bet? And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, you know, and again, these, most of these streams, as you know, they're knee-deep, and they're just chock full of fish. It's not yeah, like it's ru- filled. Yeah, you could you. It's like a movie where you know you stick your jackknife in there. And, oh, here's one. So, any rate, I I come out and I've got a couple of Loomis rods, you know, some like Meps and lines and Vibrex and stuff. And here's this this Inuit guy stand there with a gill net over his shoulder, and he goes, "You get the first cast, white guy." <laughs> 
<laughs> same deal. He goes, so that night, you know, we're literally eating and drinking. We're eating moose and, and drinking. I mean, we're, this is survival. You know what I mean? Like you said in Afghanistan. This, yeah, don't understand yeah they, this. They, they look at it totally differently. This isn't mar lago Yeah, my, my brother's a commercial fisherman, and we fight about this all the time. He, he catches like a 15-pound red snapper. He calls it a $40 bill. Right. You go, oh, there's forty dollar bill. I'm like, no, man, that's like a red snapper. So yeah, they look at it differently. Yeah, these, than us. yeah, they took. They're taking these fish and they're out there smoking them. They're hanging them in these literal huts, and you know that's winter. Like you know, yeah. it, are we going to get enough caribou? And this is a different type of protein. And just like when I was there, I was there for twenty some days, and I mean, I eat moose every day because you know they had a quarter of a moose and. You get tired of eating, you know, moose taco, moose soup, moose, I mean, moose, moose, moose. Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't think if you're an Inuit, it's any different. But. No, they get, yeah, it's just, they're just, I feel like we're doing that now with all this coronavirus oh. quarantining going on, man. Crazy. <laughs> I was talking to somebody today, man. I just want like a bagel with cream cheese and salmon. Can't get it. <laughs> Speaking of Alaska, you, you've got, you've had, you've been to Alaska a bunch. I remember seeing some stuff and looking on your Instagram. You've had some, what's probably your favorite Alaska story? Um, yeah, I love Alaska. I tell people get to Alaska. If you do anything, get to Alaska because it's just different up there. It almost feels like maybe it was America 50 years ago or something. Like you just kind of do what you want. Like if you want to drive your truck off the road, you can do it. Would you say it's fair to say though, you got to be careful where in Alaska because there's so many tourist traps and like the Kenai river, for example, like when I was there, I was like, dude, this is worse than, than the Bass Islands on Lake Erie in a weekend, you know, because you've got to kind of almost know somebody to get away from what is becomes this giant tourist trap. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've been lucky in that my assignments have always shown me the best of a place or, or the most authentic of a place. Yeah, I, tell, I don't like to go on vacation, you know. I always People always get mad at me because I just, like, my life, my work life is just so much more interesting than any, like, vacation could ever be in Alaska. Yeah, and, like hanging and, out and with Tom And you're getting paid instead of spending a pile. Yeah, and getting paid. <laughs> yeah, and I spent a week one time with the Hummer, you know, driving around Alaska, um, around was Homer. The, was that the GQ for a job. thing? Yeah, it was for GQ. And um, that was that was actually the first time I shot in Alaska, and it was in the summertime. And I remember it didn't get dark until like three in the morning. I remember leaving a bar, you know, after a few whiskeys and having to put my sunglasses on. Um, that was definitely that definitely blew me away. That whole midnight sun thing that happens in Alaska in the summertime, um, and all the people fishing for the salmon, and uh, a lot of halibut fishing going on. But I didn't halibut fish, and that's probably my one big regret is. I didn't, you know, get on a charter boat and go halibut fishing. Definitely one of my biggest regrets right there on a shoot is not doing something was that. I think the, the last one we, we were, I don't even know if it, this got on, but when we were talking as we were trying to kind of get set up, we were talking about, um, and again, I, I know, probably know 1% of who you've, you've shot through your career, but um, Harrison was a big hunter. Um, the, yeah, James Harrison, the football old Pittsburgh Steelers player. Yeah, a freak show. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was definitely, again, that was one of those things where we had that commonality that I was saying, you know, you find that one thing. And once I knew he hunted, it's like, Oh yeah, that was it. He like showed me his gun safe that was like filled with all kinds of awesome guns. Um, he showed me his freezer. that was full of bison that he'd killed. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the, the common thing, you know, this big, you know, African-American football player that you wouldn't normally think like that. Oh, and 
next thing you know, we're talking about hunting the whole shoot. Joe I mean, Perry also, Aerosmith, Joe Perry, really? same thing. Guy, guy's a hunter. Yes. No kidding. Joe Perry, Joe freaking Perry. I've got a picture, and I went up to, to the Cape to shoot him in his house uh, on, on Cape Cod. He's barely on the Cape, but he's on, he's on the Cape. Um, but he, in his big living room with a you know, big stone fireplace, he's got like an African, it was a kudu or some, some yeah, I don't know exactly what kind of African animal it was, but it was, I think it was a kudu buck, you know, hanging over his mantle. And I even did shots with him, you know, like with the guns behind and hold his guitar. Yeah, it was, it was a good shoot. I guess I, I really appreciate your time because I know that uh, sometimes getting these things down, you know, even when we were so busy when we're doing a shoot together or, or just get caught up with life to even catch up on some of these things. And it's, it's amazing to the camaraderie. I know that's probably one of the coolest things with what we both do, uh, how you get to meet these people, just how we met however many yep. years ago it's been now. Yep, and, absolutely. Uh, and you guys take pictures, man. Again, it's free. I tell people that. It's, you know, people still have that mentality of cost in their head. I keep telling them it's not like film. You know, Before, your parents would be like, oh, well, that's 40 cents. We can't, you know, don't waste film. There's no waste. <laughs> you just delete it. it. You heard it from the man himself. Natty says, take more pictures. You can always delete them. So here, yeah, here's a little thing I'll tell you. Like today, this day, whatever this is, what is this? April 16th or whatever it is. Today, there will be more pictures taken than in the whole history of photography pre-digital. Wow. Do you understand that? Do you I get do. that? I absolutely how, how's that for like a crazy sort of stat? Like there's more pictures taken in a day than there was in the whole history of photography before digital. That's a lot of selfies. That's a lot of selfies. It is. <laughs> I, I, That's a note, lot of selfies. I was hoping we could get through a thing with a photographer out using the selfies word, and I almost did it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, nice chatting with you. Likewise. Hopefully, Hopefully not I so get long. back on a boat with you again one of these days. I, we, we must make it happen. Yeah, all right, I'll talk to you later, Ross. Thanks for joining us at the Big Water Podcast. To hear the shenanigans, look at all the old episodes that we've done, check us out at YouTube, bigwaterfishing.com, and of course, follow us at Instagram and Facebook. Big Water Fishing, that's what we're doing.